I'm excited. I'm terribly excited. I'm overwhelmed by, at this passage and the meaning of it, at least as much as uh, we can understand. Uh, we are at the absolute summit. We are at the height of heights. As far as biblical truth is concerned, I don't know how much further you can really get. We're at the point where it expands your mind to think of what is really going to be our future. Where is everything headed? For that is what it's all about. But to try to imagine how it is in these bodies that we have that are not glorified and try to imagine how it's going to be in glory, your mind can only go so far. I mean, we have finite minds. But we're going to try to get as far as we can in it because it's dealing with God's purpose. Is there anything more important than that? God's purpose. Uh, that's where everything is going. It's the sunum bonum. I mean, this is the glory of glories as far as truth is concerned. We uh, were looking at it last week where God foreknew His people. Uh, foreknow is not to just not to see faith. It's to see people because it's a relationship term. To foreknow is to actually know not only what's going to happen in the future, but to know personally, to know people, to know those whom are called. He, did, he knew those people before the foundation of the world. And He predestined them or determined exactly what it was that they were going to do in the future. And that's where we're heading in our verse 29 today. And that, uh, of course, correlates with verse 28, verse 29, verse 30. We're right in the midst of the golden chain. And if you're wondering what that is, well, there are five key terms that uh, really show what our salvation is from beginning to end. Where does it start with? Our calling, right? No. It doesn't start with us. Remember, God, in He's first in all things. It started with God. It started with His plan. It started with His purpose and His will. So it started with Him. We had nothing to do with it. When it whenever He uh, does this fourth foundation of the world, we weren't here. He knew us of who we would be. We didn't know Him because we weren't existing. And the, the most exciting thing about this is that He not only foreknew, but He predestined us to a specific purpose, and that's to be like Christ. And not only that, even more importantly, that Christ would be preeminent above the glorious ones. That He's the glory of all the glories. And so He's going to tell us exactly what this purpose is in verse 29. The call according to His purpose is that we are to be conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ. That is not a secret. It's right here, bold face, we're staring right at us, and we're saying, what is it in my life that I really need to be doing? Focus on this. This is what we're about. And one day we will be just like Him. We won't be God, but we will be just like Him in many, many ways. And then the best of all is that there's a preeminent one among the people that constitute the bride. 
and He will be preeminent amongst them. God's eternal plan. It was to redeem sinners. Certain sinners are to be taken out of all the multitudes of people of all time and they are to be redeemed from their sinful humanity. And God the Father gives to the Son these redeemed people, the bride. He gives the bride to His Son and we are being conformed to the Son right now as Christians, but there will be a time that we will be conformed. No longer being conformed, but will be conformed. That means to be brought to perfection, folks. Absolute perfection, holy, uh, just like Christ the ultimate glory will be given to Him because at that time we will have bodies and glorified bodies to actually give Him glory like we cannot right now. We try the best that we can when we come to worship to give Him all the glory and our thoughts sometimes just kind of cast away a little bit and we gather them back up and say, wait a minute, I'm worship. I should be concentrating on the Lord. You see how finite we actually are. Our minds want to wander and get away from what the ultimate glory is. But we are to be like Christ and we will be because God has already guaranteed it. And it all started before we were ever even here. So it's not up to us how we do in our performance, how bad we are, how good we are it brings about the very purpose that He is going to do. Now, does that give you excited to know for certain, 100% sure, that this will happen? I am more sure of this, what we're talking about today, than I am of what's going to happen just in the next five seconds. You know, I never know. He could have just taken me out right now. And you know what? Bye-bye, guys. We'll see you later. That's real okay. Oh, you're coming with me. This is it. This is the time. Anyway, I want to tell you what an eternal plan it is. It's the plan of the ages to be like Christ. He desires to make us holy and to make us blameless. He uses all things, as we saw in Romans 8.28. You see how context, 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 it all flows together. How can you read verse 29 without verse 28? Verse 28 is a favorite verse for everybody, but they have to keep going too to see where it takes them. We know that God causes all things to work together. All things to work together for good. To who? To those who love God. To those who are called according to His purpose. And uh, that was verse 28. Everybody's familiar with it? I would tend to think so. And here we see that He causes all things in our life. He uses everything to bring us to a holiness, eventually we will be brought to glory. That's what He's doing right now. He's bringing us to glory. And anything that happens in your life, it's not accident. God uses it. He uses it for good. It's not that bad things are something that He wants to cast upon us because it's bad, but the thing is, He is in on this somehow and He has planned these things and they will work for good after it's all said and done. And that's that's verse 28, all things. Uh, right now we live by faith. 
We don't see these things that we're talking about in the future, and we groan about that. In Romans 8, we've already seen that. We're all creation groans. We groan too because, oh, there's such a heavy load that we take every day living in this Christian life and the challenges and temptations that we have and how often do we think, you know, I can't wait till He comes back. I can't wait till He takes me. I can't wait to be there. That's the attitude we should have. But in the meantime, we are here. And we want to make the best of it because we can give glory to Him here. Um, you know, in glory, we're going to be looking at pure, brilliant, radiant glory like we cannot even imagine here. We're going to see Him face to face, literally. Just like we're looking at each other, even there, there will be such a brightness that we will see 10,000 times better than we see now, physically, spiritually. What a thing that we have to look forward to. This is exactly what Christ has always wanted. He's wanted for us to see His glory as it says in John 17, that great prayer that He says to the Father. And it's an intercessory prayer for the whole church, for the disciples, apostles, all the church throughout the ages to you right here. And what He wants is He says it to the Father. I need to be glorified again as He was here on earth as, as the man God. And He says, I desire to be glorified as I once was. And He will get the full glory. And He went up and He's in bodily form like a man, but yet He is God. And what a story it is when you think about that when He says, and I want them. The ones whom You gave Me, I want them to see my glory. Moses had the right idea. He wanted to see the glory of God. God could only show the back side of that glory a little bit. Anybody who's a real Christian, they want to see God's glory. It's the most amazing thing you've ever seen. People will take vacations, see some of the most amazing things in the United States or all over the world, wherever, and they'll take pictures and such, and well, they should. It's fantastic. It's awesome. We, we ooh and all. we say, thank you, Lord. You are the creator of this, and thank you for letting me see this. And yet, the glory of God is going to exceed all of this kind of creation that we know of and we see. It's going to make it look like baby stuff. I'm telling you what he's got. This is a noble, exalted verse, folks. Verse 29. Uh, that chain, that golden chain, is that what? He foreknows us. He predestined us. And then in time and space, he calls us a holy calling to him. And when he calls us, he justifies us, declares us righteous. And as He justifies us, He glorified us. As far as God is concerned, He's done it. We look forward to that time. Glorification. And there's a reason for that. What a vision this is as we ponder on this deep truth. Let's stand for a moment. We'll go into His presence. We're going to read this 28 through 30 in this whole context, but we're only going to, to do the last half of verse 29 today. 
And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for those whom He foreknew, that was people whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom He predestined, He also called. And these whom He called, He also justified. And these whom He justified, He also glorified. That's our next step. Let's pray. Great awesome God that You are sovereign in all Your ways. Your purpose exceeds anything my human mind can come up with, yet you have made it somewhat understandable. Otherwise, you would never have written it here and given it to us. So we are to understand these things. They're very deep. and We know they go beyond us, but yet what a joy, Lord, it is to understand this, that you would take people like us who are sinners and choose them out to be a bride to give to Your Son. And we are going to be holy and blameless to give Him all the glory as we also are like Him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, here we go. This is, this is great. This is a section that I would never, ever want to ever forget. This is all what God has done. You noticed, He, 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 His, His. It's about Him. And we get to get in on this though. Look at the blessings. <laughs> There's nothing like this kind of blessing. Not knowing Him. Okay, um, first of all, we're going to look at the purpose of God in respect to us. Concerning us. The purpose of God concerning us. And I know everybody wants it. I want to know God's will, right? Well, you can start with this one right here. You want to know God's will? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell it to a new Christian. I'll tell you right now, here is what your purpose is in life. You can tell me that? I certainly can. Actually, God will tell you. To be conformed to the image of Christ. That is what it is. Now... That is where we're starting. It's all God, obviously, but we're going to look at this in the sense, what does it mean to me? What is His purpose? There's a double purpose here. It's twofold. And you'll notice point number one here today on your outlines, the purpose of God with respect to us. The second will be that the, the ultimate purpose is the glory of the Son. So, the whole idea is it's to bring glory to God, but there is a subsidiary kind of purpose, the ultimate purpose, glory of the Son. The subsidiary is that we will be glorified to be able to be in the image of Jesus Christ Himself. Now, that is a loadful, and we could stop right there because I'm not so sure how far we can get with it in our thinking. But let's give it a try. 
This applies to us in carrying out the ultimate purpose. You see, there's a wonderful promise that's brought to us. In order to establish the main purpose, which is about glory to Christ, in order for that to come about to that end, you've heard of the like the end game. The end game is that Christ is preeminent amongst us in all of his glory. Now, that is the end. But to get to the end, he uses this wonderful promise here to and and to establish to get to the ultimate purpose. The promise is this pinnacle of the teaching concerning salvation. And we have to grasp this, folks. We have to grab a hold of this and keep thinking on it. We know that there are many important things, there are many purposes that God has. Take forgiveness. One of the greatest things that could ever happen to you, you are forgiven and you stand uh, forgiven before a holy God even though we were sinners. Uh, and very much sinners, not deserving anything, and He forgave us. Uh, it was paid with price, what Christ had to do on the cross. Forgiveness is important, very important. can never forget it, but I want to tell you, forgiveness does not stop there. Forgiveness only takes it so far. Another one is justification. Justification is of utmost supreme in the sense that since Romans 3, at the end of Romans 3 and then into 4, He showed here is good news. You are justified because of what Christ has done. Uh, he is the just and the justifier. You've been declared righteous. Now that is great news. We are righteous before a holy God. We stand innocent before Him in that sense. Uh, those are only steps, though, to what this is all about. Salvation does not stop there with justification. There is something beyond that. And that's what we see in our Romans 8 passage. The problem that we as human Christians have is that we think too much about ourselves our worries, our anxieties, our problems, or uh, we are trying to get somewhere and do something and we've got things on our mind and we so easily lose sight of what our ultimate purpose is, being conformed to the image of Christ and giving Him all the grandest glory you possibly can as that is the ultimate glory. And we do that, don't we? Even as Christians, even with Christ living in us, even with the Holy Spirit there, we tend to lose sight of the upward call, the, the goal. Christ. Glorified. Us. Glorified. Okay, now we get into some key words. This morning we're, we're like doing half of verse 29. I don't know if I've ever really done a half a verse for a message, but I did one last week. So I've got to complete that verse. And the key words are this. Image, and you'll notice on your outline, I've got them in bold in letters. Image, conformed, firstborn, 
Did you see all those? And we'll get to those pretty pretty soon. But conform, brethren, did you see brethren? And then glorified, which is in that, but that word is not there. But if you drop down to verse 30, it is the conclusion of it all, glorified. You go from point A to point C. You get to that last point, that's what it's all about. Glorification. So, um, we have a subjective problem, we know. We need to defeat that as much as we can and focus on these deep truths. What is image then? As we go through this verse then, he says, become conformed to the image of his son. Now, we're going to get back to conformed, but let's go to image first because that's what this is all about. We are going to be conformed to the image of the son. Image, the word is icon. Uh, And that probably sounds familiar. You guys have heard of icons, haven't you? I-C-O-N. It's pretty well easy to understand. Um, the, the Greek word is E-I-K-O-N it's very related to what our English word is let's break it down a little bit more um, and by the way what we're going to do is we're going to go to scripture to see what the right view is on all of this or am I just taking this at my own interpretation and saying what I want to say So we have to be able to look at what God has said and not form our own thoughts and feelings. And one way to interpret Scripture is what is the word here? Well, it's icon. What did it mean in the original language, which happens to be Greek here? Icon means this. And this is objective truth, not what I made up. More than a likeness. It's not just a likeness, but it's more than a likeness. And we'll define that a little bit further to help you. And I'll keep saying these two words for a little bit. A derived likeness. You get this likeness from a source. It's a very special kind of likeness. Uh, That's what icon is. Let's take an example. A humanly example. And then we'll go to Scripture in a moment. Let's take a child a little boy and his father. And a lot of times the children will look like mom or dad very often or they have some traits about them. And so uh, sometimes you'll hear this phrase. I think it's still said. He's the spitting image of his father. Look at him. Right? The very spitting image. And I don't know about that. I don't know if he's spitting on his dad or what. But... He has a derived likeness. See, he came from his father and mother. That's why he's like them. Or like the daughter is like the parents in a lot of ways. It's a derived likeness. That's the icon, a derived likeness. Or you take a coin. um, A coin that would have a monarch on it. Or a president. And... Those are images, aren't they, that are on there? But they're a derived likeness in the sense that the head of that coin does not vaguely resemble that president. They try to make that image look exactly or as close as they can to that person. It's a picture that they try to make as accurate as possible. 
It's a likeness of the president himself. It's not just similar. Um, you know, you can take uh, a couple of cars, you know, and in general, uh, they could be different colors, they could be different makes and models, but to somebody who's never ever seen a car before, they've been out in the jungle, I mean, to them, if they're painted the same way, to them, it's they are all alike. They are the, like the same thing. Well, that is not close enough because we have to have another car that is made by the same company that is the same make, model, year, color, everything else, and then it would be something like uh, an image, although in that case it, it, we're saying, you know, in a negative sense, we're showing that just similarity doesn't get it. We're talking about a derived likeness. So what we have, uh, we will have like Christ. What we need to do is look at Scripture because those little illustrations, they're fine, they help, but they're not good enough. Anything earthly always comes short, doesn't it? But here's 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we're going to use that word image in here. We're going to find that. We're going to see that icon. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same, what? Image. Icon. We're being transformed in the very same image of Christ uh, with His glory. That, that's happening now. Did you notice that? We are being transformed. One day we will be transformed. This is, this is what's happening now. And you know, if, if you've read some of this Scripture that we're dealing with and had some thoughts on it as we've gone through it, did you know that you are being taken from one level of glory to another level of glory? You've just been made a little bit more like Christ if you've understood now what image is. And it's it's almost like you are pondering that I'm the very likeness of Christ. Well, ultimately we will be. But I mean being made that way now from one glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. Yeah, that's 2 Corinthians 3.18, and that's about icon, image. Let's go a little further. Go to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. Might be the next page. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Man, this, uh, this section here, 4 through 6, is all about the gospel of the glory of the Lord. Verse 4 says, In whose case there are people that are perishing because they're not Christians, they're not believers. They're not of God's family. They haven't been part of His plan. They're perishing. Well, why is that? Verse 4, In whose case the God of this world, who is that? Satan. Has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. He puts a blindfold over them that they can't see spiritual truth. They cannot. They will not because they what? They cannot so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Did you guys get that? That is just full of this. The light of the gospel 
of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. There, it's talking about Christ is the image of God. He is the very derived likeness of God Himself. Now there, He is God. We will never be God, but we'll be like Him as much as we possibly can next to deity. The, the image of God. That's what Christ is. Okay, go to Colossians 1.15. This is about image. How's that word mean it? It directly meant whenever Paul used that word. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God. And here's another word we'll be going into. The firstborn of all creation. He is the image. He is the icon of God. There again, Christ is the image or the derived likeness of God. He is deity, is what it is. Image is much stronger than similar now, isn't it? You could say, okay, there's an image of something, and see, that's kind of like that. It's kind of representing it. No, it is more than just like. That is amazing when you start thinking about it. That means to get that directly from another. Uh, the likeness is from God. We have been born of God, right? So therefore, why wouldn't we be like Christ? And we'll, we'll point that out more as we go through that. Uh, but we're presently being brought into the image of Christ. One day we'll be the exact image. Now, another key word. We've looked at image, and we go back to Romans 8 as we take this apart and say, well, why are we doing every word? Couldn't we move on? It looks like there's some exciting things down here. Conformed. Conformed to the image. Con, con. Concrete means together, right? How many English words do we have that start with C-O-N? Okay, that, that's what we're talking about. Together, together with. And conform, you take form, that's what it is. It's uh, it, to be into a form or an essence. So it's together with form. Uh, in the Greek, it's sum morphus. Morph means to be a form. Sum form means together, together form, together with form. Let's put these together now. To be like someone else in form. To be in the same form. To have an inward likeness and conformity. Likeness of essence. Inward Essence. What are we saying? You know, you've heard of the essence of a flower or the uh, essence of 
anything that would be a food, something that's brought out of it, and yet it's the, it's coming from the same form and, and inward essence. His likeness that we are going to have is what our personalities are going to be like Christ. We will be our own individual like we are now. We will never lose that personality. Only thing is, there's going to be instant change in some things that are not very desirable from others anyway, but that we really don't want to take into heaven and we know it, but we seem to enjoy it while we're here. And we know exactly what they are. And doesn't give any excuse. I'm going to convict you here right now. If you want to continue on with the things that you know that are wrong, you are in sin and you're not glorifying God. How about that? That's why we... Do we want to continue sinning after seeing this kind of stuff? Of course not. We have battles. We have struggles. But 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 helps us out here. One of my favorite all-time verses. This is incredible. And my mind can't really go much further here. Start verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on He's saying, what manner of love, what kind of love is this? This is so alien. It's so foreign. I want you to see how great a love this is. The Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. What kind of love is that? That He would make us children. A sinning, wicked people from humanity. And He's made us children of God. And of such we are children of God. For this reason the world does not know us. We have a veil over us. We are a bride. You remember when they used to have veils over the bride? And nobody could really clearly see that bride. They couldn't see her face. But when that veil would be lifted, everybody would see what that face looks like. The world does not know us. We are veiled. The gospel is veiled to them. Because it did not know Him. Here we go, verse 2. Beloved, you're loved by God. Paul says you're people that I love. Now we are children of God. Everyone of us right now this, at this time. We're children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We haven't seen that yet. Can't wait. We know that when He appears, Christ comes back. We will be like Him. There's that word, like Him. Why? Because we will see Him just as He is. We will literally finally see Jesus Christ in all of His glory. Now a lot of people saw Him while He was here on earth in that human body. And even after He was raised and had the resurrection body, but I want to tell you, they still only saw Him with human eyes. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John, the close apostles to Jesus... What was happening there? Well, he, he revealed Himself to them as He peeled back His flesh and showed His true light and glory. But yet, 
they still didn't catch all of that because there's no way that human eyes can enter into the final kingdom of God. It is impossible. The glorious kingdom can't be entered in by flesh and blood. 1 Corinthians 15 says that. We can't go there. Well, that's a key word, isn't it? Conform, image. Let's go to the next one, back to Romans. Conform to the image of His Son so that He would be the firstborn among many brethren. I want to get to brethren first. We'll come back to firstborn. Because it flows right along with image and conform. Did you know that conform and image are very closely related? Have you noticed that? In conform, it's it's the essence. Uh, There's a derived likeness in the image. The very essence, outward expression in the inward essence. And so now we get brethren and we're getting something here that draws us a little closer to this. This is an add-on here that helps us understand what the identity of essence is. It's the idea of the essence, the identity. It indicates our relationship to Christ. It identifies our relationship to other brothers or sisters. When we say brethren, we're talking about brothers and sisters. Okay. The brethren are the ones who are related. Did you know that you all are my relatives? But somehow, some way, coming from, we know it came from Adam, and then we know about the flood, and then we know Noah, and we're all related. There's only one race, isn't there? But God has created a second race. That's the ones that have been born again. Uh, but He didn't mention color or anything like that. Bonnie Bauckham talks about that so often. Uh, he knows all about that story and what it is. Uh, but we're talking about we are related because we're in the family of God. Did you know, you know, um, I feel more related to my spiritual brothers and sisters than I even do my own physical family. But what is the beauty is that many in my physical family are also believers too. So therefore, I get both, right? You get both when... When you have a relative, somebody that's close to you, and they now become a Christian, it's the sunum bonum. Now, this is the best that it can be, right? That they are related blood-wise, but that doesn't matter eternally. What matters is who you're born of, this being the new birth. It's about a relationship to Jesus. Brethren describes image and conformity to that image by using the word brethren. How is that? Look in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 10 through 13. Hebrews 2. For it was fitting for Him, Christ. Hebrews is about Christ. He is the supreme, preeminent one over all. Angels, men, 
all creation, He's supreme. For it was fitting for Him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to what? To glory. That's what He's doing right now, folks. He's bringing us to glory. Think about it. <laughs> to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. That's Christ. He was perfected in His sufferings to brought totally to maturity to brought to be brought in that. He was perfected in learning obedience as a human. Even though God is perfect, He doesn't need anything else to make Him more perfect. But as a human, He had to go through sufferings. Both He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. Did you get that? We are from the same Father. Oh, I'm getting it. For which reason he's not ashamed to call them brethren. We're talking a family. We're talking relation. Relatives. Look at this. And he quotes out of the Old Testament here. The Hebrew writer says this. I will proclaim your name. This is Christ saying this. The Messiah before he ever came to earth yet. I will proclaim your name to my brethren. He proclaims God's name to us in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, behold, I am the children whom God has given me. Even in the Old Testament, He says He gives the children to the Messiah. I and the children whom God has given me, we praise You, we honor You. But God, Christ is God, but He's mankind. He sings over us. He's a great vocalist. He's the best in the world. He created music, and everything that He does is perfect. Uh, he leads us in the congregation. So, what we have here is a number of brothers. There's an identity of essence that we all have. We're the children of the same Father. Not the earthly Father here. This is our Heavenly Father. To those who are born again. There are certain things that characterize us, and when you meet a Christian for the first time, you know it. It's almost like this. It's like a heartbeat and you're talking to them and you have so many things in common. Case in point, we have a couple this morning that I was just blessed and man, the Lord just gave me one of the biggest blessings I've had all day. And it was coming from somebody I'd never met and after the first words I could tell right there, we're related. We had so many things in common and we got to talk with each other at the most five minutes. And we, it was like we'd been talking for years and years and we knew exactly what they believed. How can that happen anywhere else? You have to find out, hey, where that, where's this person work? You know, if you're, you're learning about somebody else, not necessarily talking about a Christian, but where are they from? Where do they work? What do they do? Then you're still not sure about them, and then you keep talking. You might go for months finding out about people. But a family knows. A 
family. And we've had several of uh, those people come in this summer and worship with us that we never met before. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm talking about you back there, Blaze. <laughs> or others that have joined us and we know this is really, really neat. Uh, what a blessing, right? So certain things just characterize us. We're in the family. We have the same father. We have the same brother, Jesus Christ. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. Did you ever think about that? He's not ashamed of us. Well, there's one other word that I want to focus on. Back to our Romans. And uh, it's dealing with glorified. Did you see how brethren fits in with this then? With identification, you know, like conforming, an icon. Uh, there's your brethren. And in Romans 8 here, uh, in, by the time you get to the end of verse 30, he's, He also glorified us. If He foreknew you, it'll get all the way to the point of glorifying you. Yeah, but what if I goof up? Well, yeah, yeah, you will. Guaranteed. He's still going to do this because it's His plan. And He's never foiled, is He? Never, ever, ever, ever. That's why when you get to the end of Romans 8, you have a flurry of passages that all deal with persevering in the faith. It's because He... It's really preservation. He preserves you. Glorified. To say that I am to be conformed to the very image of the Son and to be a brother of the Son means that I am to be glorified. Hebrews 2.10 We read this earlier. Just a while ago, for it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, and bringing many sons to glory. He's bringing us there to one day we get the glory. Now, look in Philippians 3 21. Speaking of Jesus Christ, we're eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are waiting. Please come quickly, Lord Jesus. How many times have you said that? Every day? Who will transform the body of our humble estate into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the dunamis, dynamite power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. He will transform. You've heard of transformers? Some of you younger guys probably played with the transformers or watched the movies. Here is the ultimate transformer. He will transform our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. We're talking about a physical flesh there. This is future here. This is talking about what's going to happen. And we will have a body just like Jesus Christ had whenever He resurrected. It will be just like Him. And 
you say, well, can you give us a little bit more of a description? Not much. But I wait to the very last point till we get to that. Not only will we be like Him in the Spirit, but also our bodies will be like His glorified body. Number two, that was number one. Now what was that? That was the glory that concerns us. Did we get a lot of information from that? I think we did. Not only here in Romans 8, but other places. I think we get a little bit more of a handle on this, right? Now we come to what is the supreme purpose of this twofold purpose. One being us, but here is the supreme right here. Back to our Romans 8. That we be conformed to the image of His Son so that He would be firstborn among many brethren. And there's another key word. We now come back to that word firstborn. Uh, There's no higher purpose, folks. We've looked at God's purpose with respect to us. That's, That's exciting. Tremendously exciting. Can you think of anything more exciting than you having a glorified body instantly? What could be better? Now we're going to look at the ultimate part of the purpose. The second part of the twofold. The word there is firstborn. And somebody will say, and cults like this, Jehovah's Witnesses love this verse. The only thing is, if they would just read a little bit further, <laughs> uh, their whole premise there is blown away. The word, and if they would really get to what the word really means, if you look at it in the English, you can say, firstborn, that means he was the first one born again. Now, there are many charismatic groups that actually will say that Jesus was born again. He, they will say that He died, He went down to hell, and He experienced hell, and then whenever He came up out of there, He relied on the Father's giving. See, everything is on giving. If you give, here's what God will do. He will bless you. So Jesus relied on the giving of Himself, and then He was taken out of hell, and He became born again. Now that's Kenneth Haganism, it's Joyce Meyer, it's Kenneth Copeland, it's probably all the ones that uh, are around today have different names, same theology, it's dangerous, it is horrible. And I must admit that I was caught up into that way back whenever I was starting to get into the Word of God. And I went anywhere and everywhere, both Carolyn and I, and wherever it took. We were excited. Nothing wrong with that, but um, we had to be steered in the right direction. I thank the Lord for it because I was grasping for everything. Man, I, and of course, we had the cults coming to us and the Jehovah's Witnesses will say, see, Jesus is the firstborn. Um, so therefore, Jesus is not God because He's a little God. He's a God. But they, that's the verse that they will use right in, in Colossians uh, also. He's uh, firstborn. If he's firstborn, then uh, Adam wasn't the first one born. But we're talking about something that means totally different than the way that our English puts it here. 
firstborn is prototokos. And pro means first, before, you know. Uh, prototokos is dealing with a very preeminent one. The very supreme one. He is the supreme, the very special position of privilege is the idea. It's always in a position of preeminence. God's ultimate object is ever planning the scheme of salvation. And it was to glorify His Son. That is what all of this was about. Even when He started the foreknowledge, it was about bringing His Son into a position that would be the most loftiest of all. And if He can glorify a sinful bunch of people, certain ones that He picks out for only the reason that He loved us and who knows what, and He makes them into a bride and they're glorified, we are going to stand out as glorified people, but there's going to be one who's going to be preeminent over all the glory that is seen with all the ones that are in heaven with Him. Can you imagine a whole host of people and they are shining in all the radiance and the beauty. The glory is just blowing everybody away as they look at each other and then they see Christ who is above all of them. Humans shining in their glory, folks. Which we are made of. It's like, a, in a sense, put it in a, in a way that we can visualize this in a sense in, a, in our thinking. Uh, take a general and they happen to be in a parade. They've just had a victory. They're triumphant as they come marching. The army looks, or the military comes marching in and it is a beautiful thing in all their uniforms and you can see gold and silver along in this parade and all the brass shining everywhere. And then there is the general that is preeminent above all and he has the stars. That is a picture of that. Or how about um, warriors where you have Indian tribes who are dressed in all their brilliant colors that they have. And then you look and you see the chief of this tribe with all of his headdress and all the things that go along with that. And you say, he sticks out. That's the chief. That is what happens. Because right now, we are not glorified. And we glorify God, but it's not at its ultimate he needs a group of people that are just like Christ in every way so that they can glorify Him. Now we're getting closer to the point because we're His brothers, but He stands out. He's the firstborn, and that's the idea because if you look at Hebrews, Hebrew people had their firstborn son. They were called what the Greek would be equal to prototokos, the firstborn. They were the heirs. They get a double blessing all through Old Testament. You see that sometimes God conflicts with that seemingly as you have Jacob and Esau. 
But who was first born out of those twins? Actually, Esau was. Then Jacob. So he picked him. And we see that constantly over and over. God uh, does something different. But as far as they were concerned, that firstborn is the more most special one of all the, the other children. Um, so there we go. Now I know there are other there are older brothers here or sisters or what have you. And they said, Oh yeah. I am more important than my brothers and sisters. <laughs> you can't say that because we're in Christ today. And we're not back in the Old Testament. <laughs> but that's what they did. Firstborn. And that's why this is brought out. In, in that way, but it's also brought out with what it really means here with what we just talked about. Um, we'll be able to glorify Him much more than we can now. That's why it has to be done. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 10. Obviously, we have to go into Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 especially. And looking at verse 10. Oh, start at 9. He made known to us the mystery of His will. He made that known. According to His kind intention, His kind intention which He purposed in Him, here we go with 10, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That's where it's all going. That is, the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things on the earth in Him also we have obtained an inheritance, inheritance having been predestined according to His purpose who works all things after the counsel of His will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of His glory. Let it all right there. Uh, Ephesians 1, 20-22, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead, seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet, gave Him His head over all things. What else more do you want? To the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. He is the first. He's preeminent. He's the firstborn. He's the prototokos. Now are we getting that? How do you explain that, cults? How do you explain that, people, with those strange teachings? This is what the firstborn is about. Colossians 1.18 He is also head of the body, the church. And He is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. He is preeminent among the dead. So that He Himself will come to have first place in everything. That's the idea of prototokos first place in everything. He is the chief. He is the general. He is God. He's the head of the church. He's above all, isn't He? All the universe, everything. Preeminent. That's the idea there of 
firstborn. We could read Philippians 2, 5 through 11. At the end of it says that everyone, everywhere, believers, unbelievers, will proclaim Him, Jesus Christ, to be Lord of all. Lord of all. Brethren, what He does... Christ is going to be glorified in the way that it's always meant to be when He and His brethren are on view to the whole cosmos. However that may be, we are there with Him in all of our shining glory. And He is head and shoulders above us even in all of His glory that's even brighter And we will be bright enough, folks. He's supreme above all, and this is the ultimate end of the glorification of the Son of God. That's what it's all about. That's what life is about, folks. People want to know, what is it all about? We just have said it. This is it. This is what life is about. This is eternal life, and it's knowing this one and praising this one. That's what it's all about. So it's like this. Okay, how can this happen? How can we be conformed to His image? I don't get it. Physically, how can that happen? Well, we had Adam as our father of the human race, right? We, he was the first Adam. Were we related to Him? Yes. Flesh and blood, we related to Him. Originally, we derived our likeness from Adam, didn't we? He was not glorified whenever He was created. Tell you what, whenever He was first created, it was a lot better body than what bodies are now, though. Because you know what sin did? By the way, we were created, talking about the image of God, I kind of forgot about this, but we were created in the image of God. Adam was. He was not glorified, but he was in the very image of God. And whenever the fall happened, there was a marring, a defacing of that image. Couldn't even make it out anymore. But what Christ did is that He brought us into the family of God and we now have a new image. The image of the second Adam, which Romans 5 talks about. We spent a lot of time on the second and first Adam. Did you know the second Adam, to do that, had to partake of flesh and blood? Hebrews 2. 14 through 17. We were there in Hebrews 2 a couple of times. Now let's go ahead and finish that part off. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, we're all related, related to Adam, right? Flesh and blood. He himself, likewise, Christ, also partook of the same. He took on flesh and blood. This is the incarnation. To be like us. He had to be that He might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that's Satan, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. We're talking about resurrection here. Death and resurrection. For assuredly He does not give help to angels, but He gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Who's that? 
That's the believers. Abraham is one who believed God and has accounted to him a righteousness. Anybody who believes God is a descendant of Abraham in that sense. Not, not necessarily flesh and blood. It doesn't make us Jewish, but it does make us a descendant of Abraham because of faith. Therefore, he had to be made like... Oh, i got to read this again. Verse 17, you ready? You ready? Look at it. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. He had to become like us. He's God, but he had to pay our debt, and only a human can do that, and there's nobody worthy to do that. But God himself, and he stepped down from heaven's glory and put it aside and He took our place and made us to be starting to be conformed to the image of Him so that we would give Him glory. Wow. The very nature. He was made like His brethren. So we are related to Him now. to be conformable to this God-man. As the Son of Man is the beginner now of a new race, it is to this God-man we are to be conformed. He took the glorified humanity that He had, went to heaven. The body is still here. The head is in heaven. But He has a body. The rest of the body is here right now or except for the ones who have been the saints who have been made perfect, all the ones who have passed, and they are with Him. He took glorified humanity to heaven, and we are linked. We're linked to Him. The body. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 30. Because we are members of His body. We are members of His body. His body here is here on earth. You know, He's giving the command to the bodies. The head gives the command for the body to do things. We don't want to be spastic, do we? When we disobey Him, we become spastic and all of a sudden we do different things and the body is gets contorted sometimes. One day it will be glorified though. And the humility and the humbleness that we have now will be a glorified humbleness. The ultimate end. So that's the idea of being like Him. You know what John Calvin said? And by the way, when we go there, we're going. when we arrive there, we will reign with Him. We'll be seated on the throne with Him and not only in spirit, but also in body. And we will be like the Son of God Himself. Think about what Calvin said. The Son of God became the Son of Man, that the sinful sons of men might become the sons of God. The Son of God became the Son of Man that the sinful sons of men might become the sons of God. 
That's it, folks. Now we go on to the last part, and it's really probably time to close, but I know somebody would be asking, what does this look like? Can you take and stretch this out some way that, it, what's it going to be like when we're there in a glorified body? I ask this all the time. I can't get very far with it. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't know if I'll help you at all, but I'll try. Can you hang on? Is it worth another five more minutes? Then I can tell you how you're going to be exactly like Christ. Are you ready? Wait for it. Okay, that's what that was. Wait for it. James Montgomery Boyce said this. This is this is good. He said this. I didn't. I didn't make this up. God loves Jesus so much that He is determined to have many more people just like Him. Does that get you? I got to say that again. God loves Jesus so much that He is determined, and He will have many more people just like Him. Bingo. That's what He wants. He wants a whole bunch of Christians. Do you know why you're called Christians? They, that was a derogatory term when that was said, and that's in the Bible. That's in the New Testament. It's the book of Acts. That's when they were called Christians. It means little Christs. It was not a derogatory term, but it means we're like Christ. That's what we are. That's what we are now. Now, we don't show that absolutely to everybody. They don't know that. But sometimes people see a little bit of Christ in you. Now, I'm not talking about some kind of a weird, I am in Christ and Christ is in me in a New Age way. But biblically, I am in Christ and Christ is in me. I am not God, as uh, many of the New Agers always said, and I don't even know if they use that term anymore. I think it's probably more uh, the, the reset, the great reset. You guys heard about that. And that's what they're shooting for. Something a lot better than what the Bible says here. They want something physical like this to happen. And they're going to have to change the climate to do it, folks. Did you hear, hear about that? They're going to change the climate and everything's going to be good. No, no. You know, we don't have to be consumed about that. God's going to take care of us. And if we need the heat and uh, really hot heat, <laughs> triple digits today, God will give it to us. Uh, probably we deserve it. <laughs> uh, depending on how you look at it. What are we saying here? Just like Christ. Okay, first of all, and I'm going to have to go through this very quick. I'm going to try to talk fast. These are thoughts from John Owen. John Owen wrote a book called The Glory of Christ. It has to be on my list of favorite books. It's got to be on the top ten. The Glory of Christ. Think about it. Think on it. And he wrote a section near the end about the differences between what we do now in glorifying God in the present time and the glory that we'll be giving Him as we have glory in heaven. So he gave some things and he showed some differences and I hope it will help somewhat. We are very weak. We are very imperfect in this body. We have weak eyes that can only see things barely. We are hindered in this world. We are interrupted in its operations. 
we often lose the view of the main object. Verse 29. We lose that view a lot. We forget about it. Sometimes we have very, very little sight of Christ. And sometimes we don't have any sight of Him at all. You see, in this world we live by faith and not by sight. One day we will see Him as He is. We will see what glory is and glorified eyes will pick up and be able to see much brighter things. We can have a bright, sunshiny day. I mean, i got to wear sunglasses. But we won't have to be wearing sunglasses there. The light will be turned on to ten. Or maybe a hundred. A thousand. Billion. Trillion. Let's <laughs> just keep going. The light will be amazing. The glory of Christ. There is a difference between faith and sight. We live by faith here now. The view we have of the glory of Christ by faith is obscure, it's dark, it's inevident. 1 Corinthians 12 says, Now we see through a glass darkly. They had mirrors back at that time, during the time of Paul when he wrote this, and it would really be something made of kind of like what our pots are today when they're shiny. And you get a little bit of an image in there, but you don't really see much there, right? You ever seen a reflection or a reflection that comes off of the pond that you're looking at or something still, water, a pool, and you can see an image there? That's like a, a dark, obscure kind of view. Uh, here in this world, our souls are burdened. We have innumerable infirmities and all the COVID going around and dying out for a little while and coming back and then other sicknesses and there are many cancers and diseases that are out there that get so many people and you know it's this is what this world as even uh, even as good as it is I'm not complaining I'm just saying we groan. Romans 8 says we groan for our deliverance like creation does. And you know, even when we're at our best, when we're reading the Word of God, when we're studying, we're studying hard and we're, we're, we're getting out dictionaries trying to get the meaning of this and commentaries and reading them and, and listening to messages, just what does this mean? We have to work hard at it. We have to dig. We are miners. M-I-N-E-R-S. <laughs> And we have to go into the cave and dig. And I'll tell you what, when you get out one little bitty jewel, it is worth it all. And that's what I hope that we've done here today. I can't show you it all. Just to get a truth of God in our thoughts. We still groan. We just can't get... We, we are short of being like Christ the way that we want it. We're becoming like Christ, but we're so short. We long to be like Him, don't we? Hey, are you like Christ? Well, <laughs> so next time somebody does something that you know that's sin, you know, go up to them and say, hey, was that, was that Christ-like? Uh, you, I don't know. You probably better not do that. Uh, 
Or if they just keep doing it, maybe it would be a good idea to do that. They're your brothers, right? And sometimes a brother needs to tell another brother, hey man, you better stop that. I'll tell you why. Let's get back to glory. <laughs> he will be continually with us. Do we have dry times in our Christian walks? We do. Really dry sometimes. We don't even feel like He's there. It's okay. We shall see Him. 1 Corinthians 13.12 says face to face. That's about as physical, literal meaning as you would ever want. 1 John 3.2 We shall see Him as He is. We shall see a glory in it a thousand times above anything that we can conceive right now. The excellencies, folks, of infinite wisdom that just keeps on coming to us. We'll never get enough. We can't get enough now. When you became a Christian and you found out about the Word of God, you wanted more. You get all the videos that you can and books and you know, I mean, you just surround yourself and you want more. There's got to be more. Yes, there is. And it just keeps on coming. You think, wonder, wonder if there will be a day when finally that's it. I can tell you, no. It will never happen. Even in glory. We will already know. We don't have to study. We won't have to study and read hard to show ourselves approved in heaven. We will know. We will know God. But will He keep on revealing things to us? Yes. And it will take an eternity to know this awesome God. This is eternal life that you may know Him. What's life about? Knowing Him. We are incapable of understanding. We can't get to total satisfaction, although we should. The state of our minds will be perfectly freed from all the darkness, the unsteadiness, the incapacities that we have, all the weaknesses they hinder us. We get obstructed in our Christian lives. But David said this out of Psalm 17.15, and you might want to write this one down. I don't have it on your notes. But maybe I did. Maybe I did put it there. He said, I will behold thy face in righteousness. Okay. I will behold thy face. I'm going to see your face. Your righteous face. And, and I will be righteous. And, and then he says, I shall be satisfied when I awake. When he is with God. But I'm not done yet. I shall be satisfied when I awake with your likeness. Did you get it? Out of the Old Testament, David said, I'm going to be like you. Wow. He knew that. He knew that. He wrote that. Christ alone is our likeness. When we awaken in the other world, we instantly will be purified rectified, we'll be beholding Him, we'll be just 100% satisfied forever. Not 100%, maybe the next day, 88%, and then up to 95%, we'll be 100% satisfied, content with life in everything, every way. There will never be any sin, no death, no diseases, no sicknesses. Everything is perfect in every way. You can't ever say, well, okay, I know i got to go out and work because that's what He's planned for us to do. We have things to do there. And I'm, I just 
don't feel like doing that today. That will never ever happen again. You'll never have to make another excuse (laughs) because there's no excuses there. There's everything with enjoyment. God satisfies Him and we'll be beholding that satisfaction forevermore. Perfectly satisfied, blessed forever. I'm about done, folks. I'm going I'm to read just a moment here from John Owen. I'm going to close it out. Nothing shall weaken, disturb, or incapacitate our souls in acting all their powers, unimpeded by vanity, diversions, weakness, inability upon their proper objects. The excellency thereof of universal liberty and power we cannot here comprehend, nor can we yet conceive the glory and beauty of the spiritual actings of our minds which shall have no clog upon them. He, he will be the object of our satisfaction, our sight, all the communications and all the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all the holiness, all of that glory. That was what Christ had when He walked the earth. He's always had it. The Holy Spirit gives those same things to us and sometimes we put them on display and other times we don't. At that time, we'll put them on display like we've never done before, all in glory. Everything that Christ was and the saints of God will drink from the rivers of pleasure that are at His right hand, satisfied with being like Jesus Christ. We'll be refreshed in the eternal springs of life. So says Owen. We will have light and joy forevermore. We will know Him as He knows us. Let's pray. Father, Holy God, that You would reveal this to us. Not many are mighty, not many noble. We are very humbled that You would make us a part of Your family. If there is anyone here today, Lord, that is not a part of Your family, that the Word of God would woo them, that would draw them of saying, this is what I want. I'm not getting any answers in the world. I'm getting nothing but lies. Lies, lies, lies everywhere. God, You have the truth. If You would look upon Him and see that Christ is the One who takes Your place, Your problem is is Your sin. As every man, woman, and child has had that problem of sin. We've been tainted by sin and it destroys us. Lord, You are the only one. Jesus Christ paid the price for that. We need to grasp hold of that truth and cry out to Him, repenting of our sin, and saying, Jesus, I need You to forgive me of my sin, and I look to You to join You in eternal life. Lord, we know that that's how You drew each and every one of us that are believers. You drew us to You. That's the only way we can come to You. If You're drawing us, we come to You. Lord, thank You for this day and what a pleasure it has been to talk about the greatest pleasurable things that can ever be known. In Jesus' name, Amen.